Blog Talk Radio. All I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did. Pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151. One sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence. Who I'm gonna body this hood politics, acknowledging. Leave bodies chopped up in garbage. Seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us, roll up and try knocking us. One knee. I just could it be my time is up with my love I got up the cop shot again bus stop glass burst a fiend drops a Heineken ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in blacking out I shoot back fuck getting hit this is my hood I'm a rap to the death of it to everybody come on little niggas is grown hood rats don't abortion your wound we need more warriors soon shit from the stars sun and the moon and it's like a police chase the street sweepers and coppers sick up kids with no conscience leaving victims with doctors if you really think you're ready to die Our power is to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. It's your brother and host, National Chairman, Yang Nkrumah, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, coming to you again live on a Tuesday on Independence Black Blog Talk Radio, our political education, <clears throat> excuse me, our political education, please, you have to excuse me, the weather changed down, I'm back in Georgia now, the weather changed, it's wet, so <clears throat> I hope I'm not trying to come down with anything. Coming to you again today on a Tuesday, and like always, you know I love my Tuesdays, an opportunity to rap to the masses. You know the um, my motto, communalism together, collectively, there's nothing we can't accomplish. Individuality ensures a certain disaster and doom and failure for the African here in America. Today's topic, we'll be talking about the evolution of revolutionary thought and action. The evolution of revol- revolutionary thought and action. And what inspired this was doing some reading, going on Facebook like I usually do. You know, um, I use Facebook not so much to be informed politically, informed maybe what's going on in the community with events, but a lot, a lot of times it's a lot more entertaining than anything. You know, to read the various progressive revolutionary organizations or just revolutionary organizations in general and to see where they're going with it. Sometimes it's entertaining. It's it's, it's always fascinating. And um, a lot of times, and more times than not, it's it's bewildering. You know, I try to figure out what's going on, what's the end game, what's the goal, what's the uh, cause, you know, what are, what are we fighting for as a people, you know, as collectively, and specifically these groups, what are they trying to, what are they trying to obtain? And is it realistic what they're trying to obtain? Must our revolutionary thought evolve? Have we do we do a proper analysis on the situation that we're facing today, the situation, the issues that the Africans here in America face today, to um, is our analysis accurate enough to really propel us into 
a revolutionary, at the very least, a revolutionary consciousness. A revolutionary consciousness. We understand that revolution must begin with this, with consciousness. And consciousness, when I use the word consciousness, I'm simply meaning being awakened to, being aware of. So what is this revolutionary consciousness? The revolutionary consciousness is being aware of the circumstances and situations that we live in today, contemporary, not the historical. We must know history. Listen, don't misunderstand me. History, knowing the history is important. For we understand as revolutionaries, we understand that our movement is a protracted struggle. It is a, excuse me, generational struggle. And in order to evolve, we must we must know what we're evolving from. We have to understand how we got to the point that we're at and where we're trying to go. And the only way to understand how we got to where we're at is to know where we come came from. So history is very important. But a analysis of today's situation with the current administration, President Trump, with the laws being enacted, the policies being enacted, that affects the behavior and affects the um, actions of these institutions. And namely, the first one that comes to mind is what we at the People's Black Panther Party call the armed wing of a repressive state, more commonly referred to as the police department. When thinking about the um, blatant and indiscriminate murder of black men and black women, unarmed black men and black women, and how it's being deemed justifiable in their courts of law. And these officers are walking away with having literally committed murder, cold-blooded murder. And if, even if some type of uh, reprisal or uh, some type of uh, repercussion is had, and a lot of times you'll find it being had in the sense of economics, in the sense of money, something being paid out to the family, if it's being had, then we have to look at that. Do the police lose their pension? Do they lose their retirement fund? Do they have to put their homes in foreclosure? Do their children lose their college fund? No, that money is taxpayers' money. So in essence, in a sense, what's happening is you and I are paying for the bloodshed and nine times out of ten of uh, of Africans, of black people. We're paying that. When those fans sue the police department or sue the state for so many millions, that's coming out of taxpayer dollars. That police officer isn't losing any sleep, nor is he feeling any type of financial pinch or financial burden, responsibility, and obligation for the murder that he's just committed. So, I mean, it's a lose-lose. Criminally, they're not charged. Civilly, they're not charged. All of these things. So when I talk about this consciousness, this revolutionary consciousness, these are things that the revolutionary must be conscious of, not just the um, not just the state that they're in, the physical state or the psychological state that they're in, but how they came to this state and how this state is maintained, this state of subjectiveness and submission and oppression and exploitation of oppressed people all globally, but specifically oppressed Africans here in America. How is it maintained? In order for us to evolve, we have to know how these things are maintained. The days of, you know, I can understand, like I said, history is important. So when we're looking at the 60s, the 70s, and even before then, the 40s and the, the 30s, the 20s, racism and discrimination was blatant. I know some will say, well, it's still blatant now, Brother Chairman. And I will agree to an extent, but not as blatant as it was, not as overt 
as it was. So as our our struggle and our fight for human rights, and in the beginning it was guys that civil rights, but nonetheless for human rights and liberation and empowerment of the African people, forced them when it became um, when the world when it became international. When the image of the barbaric treatment and the savage behavior of white people, you know, there's no other way to say it, of white people became international and began to affect their foreign policy and their relations outside of the state. So it forced them to, um, it forced Lyndon B. Johnson, and anyone who knows Lyndon B. Johnson knows his history, it forced him to sign the Civil Rights Act. Why do you think Kennedy was killed? He was cozy enough. One of the theories is that he was getting a little too cozy with the American Negro. But King Dr. King's actions forced them, um, forced America to force Lyndon B. Johnson. And like I said, those of us that have studied history a little bit know Lyndon B. Johnson's track record. We know what Lyndon B. You know, we know that he was not a big fan of the civil rights movement nor the so-called American Negro in any way, shape, form, and fashion, but international pressure, the peace, um, the non-resistance movement, the non-resistance, the non-violent protest, civil disobedience, those type of things forced when the world got a glimmer and got a glimpse of the savage treatment of European Americans, of white Americans towards their African counterparts, towards the so-called American Negro it changed their foreign policy, you know, or it changed, it hindered foreign relationships. So they had to sign the Civil Rights Bill in effect. But what did they do when they did that? See, this is what we talk about evolution. This is why the revolutionary thoughts and action must evolve with the African man, because what this uh, repressive state did, what the white man did at that particular time, his racism couldn't be as overt. It couldn't be as blatant. His brutality couldn't be broadcast. He couldn't be as shameless as he had been in the past, as reckless as he had been with his so-called American Negro. So it began to take other forms. His racism and then discrimination then become, become institutionalized. That's why they call it institutional racism and discrimination, institutional oppression and exploitation. He had to inst- begin to institute systems and in order to implement systems and institute systems you have to have just that institutions to uphold the system and this is what he began to do he began to institute the systems and as we evolved when we see when he when he evolved when the repressive state evolved in their suppressing the African masses then we stepped up our game and we entered into the 60s from the civil rights movement. This is why I don't knock the civil rights movement. You see, I know everything has a birth. I know everything has a birth. This is why I say that those of us that study history, we study history from an objective place. You know what I'm saying? We're not, you know, we try to, the revolutionary, I'm not saying don't be emotional. It's, you know, you're going to be emotional. You're going to be moved to emotion. You have to be angry about these things. I think it was our dear brother Malcolm, Malik El-Hashabaz, more commonly known as Malcolm X, said that uh, anger 
makes a man, and, and listen, you students of history, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know if this is the actual quote, but in so many words, he said a man won't change anything until he's angry about it. A man or a woman won't change anything until they're angry about it. So we find that the emotion of anger sometimes can be necessary. If it's used right, if it's channeled right, if the thoughts, if the ideology and the philosophy are right, then the emotion of anger is just a, a fuel system, a petrol, if you will, to be able to push that vehicle along. So I'm not saying that emotions aren't good, but what I'm saying is when we study history, the emotions that aren't beneficial, we keep them in check. So then we look at the civil rights movement. I read a lot of people, and they talk about Dr. King was this, and he was weak, and he was a punk. First of all, let me say, history, looking back on history, is 2020. Looking back is 2020. It's so much easier to have the books and look back and to be judgmental now that those experiences have passed, you know, so I, I, you know, I had to say that. But from the civil rights movement was birthed the Black Power movement. You see, as the repression evolved, as they began to institute their discrimination and their racism and take it to different levels, then we intensified the struggle. We saw that integration was not the best. Assimilation would never work. We understood that trying to reform a system that has historically been put in place to suppress ethnicities, to create a class divide, and not just a class divide, but a racial divide and a gender divide, to separate the masses of people from the elite, to have that few, I think we call them the 1%, to have that few to run the country where they benefit off the sweat and the labor and the blood of the masses of people. We understood that we began to see that despite our efforts of to try to include ourselves peacefully and try to assimilate and say that we were wanted to be the citizens of this great country and all we wanted was equal rights. We wanted what your for your founding father, Thomas Jefferson, um, said in his Bill of Rights, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that all people are endowed with inalienable rights, those rights being life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We believed, we wanted to believe anyway. We wanted to believe in that, and we tried it. But us being a people not far removed from your savagery and not far removed from your sicknesses and understanding your your how you operate and how you work, and we start to see you shift and evolve in such a manner that would allow you to continue your oppression to the African masses, we evolved, and we became begin into a black power movement with a revolutionary understanding. And that revolutionary understanding, when we say revolutionary understanding, we understand revolution to be the complete and total constructive change. This is what we begin to understand. And this is what we begin to hold to. And so we evolved. We stopped allowing a movement to be led purely and solely on theology, on prayer, on reliance on something that at, at that particular time, you know, may not, and this is not a knock on your religions, I believe me. I believe we at the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination believe in a liberation theology. But we understand the liberation theology must be accompanied, your theology must be accompanied with liberating actions. It has to extend farther than just your prayers. And getting calluses on your knees, on your head, from putting on the floor. It must evolve and manifest itself through actions, intangible material possessions, 
and material change because we live in the material world. And so we understood this. So then the revolutionary philosophy, our evolution of revolution, just went from just purely a theological revolution, a spiritual revolution, a pray for your enemy revolution, till we begin to start to see the likes of and some of the most popular, we always say the Black Panther Party, because they were the most popular, but that wasn't the only black organization. That's why we say it was a black power movement. Let us understand movement. Movement is comprised of music, art, literature, dance, language, and the progressive and various progressive organizations. It was a movement that had taken place. Our evolution had come. Our evolution had helped us to begin to form a movement. And then that movement, we began to study other things. We studied the Cuban Revolution, and we studied the Bolshevik Revolution, and we studied the Chinese Revolution. Then we began to start looking at the struggles of our Palestinian brothers in third world countries. And we started to deal with other uh, philosophies to add to them, because we were dealing with black nationalism. Listen, we go back to black nationalism even before Malcolm. We go back to Martin Delaney when we talk about black nationalism, but we begin to look at other philosophies and principles to add to our struggle that would aid us in our fight for independent self-sufficiency and liberation. And we found that in the teachings of our dear brother, Defense Minister Huey P. Newton, and then chairman of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, Bobby Sears. And we saw, not only did we find it in their writings and we listened to them and the great minds that came out of that, Geronimo uh, Jigga Pratt, um, um, H. Rob Brown, also now known as Imam Jamil Abdul Alameen, Free Brother Imam, um, and just so many, my Stokely Carl, my Kwame Torre, so many great minds that we produced. The sisters, Angela Davis, um, who was a communist, but uh, um, um, Elaine Brown and other great minds that came from that, that understood evolution of a revolution. So, what is the evolution in this day and time? We had that. We did the Maoism, the Marxist-Leninism. We began to come into, go into scientific socialism, uh, Toure and Krumism, which I lean heavily to. But what is the evolution in our time? What does that look like? Do we have a real assessment of the problems and issues that face us? Or have we been so beat down? And if not beat down, have we been tricked with this in this so-called information age and having information exposed to us at the tip of our fingertips that we've gone from revolution, practical revolution, practical solutions for complete and total constructive change for the oppressed African here in America to escapism, to fantasies to creating utopic dreams, putting goals in front of our people that are unattainable. Have we got into the megalomania, the megalomania, uh, 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 egotistical thinking? Is it about how much we know? Listen, I was watching a YouTube video, and I hope I don't digress. And when we talk about revolutionary, the evolution of a revolutionary, I was watching a video, and the brother was so deep, I was lost. He was too deep to be effective. 
my brother started getting in the cosmos and the melon and the and these things are necessary to know. Some of the scientifics and of, of things are necessary to know to understand how these components work and all of them work together and maybe even why I explain some of the nature of these so called human beings walking around and how they could oppress other people with no remorse, no conscience whatsoever. But at a time I would I began to wonder, was the brother setting himself up? To be a demigod Was he setting himself up So that the people would say that he was profound And prolific in his speech And in his knowledge And he was deep How could The average African Over here in America The oppressed African over here in America Learn from that And not just learn from it But how is it beneficial in their everyday struggle? So that's the question I pose, brothers and sisters. That's the topic of the day. Evolution of revolutionary thought and action. How can we evolve? How do you see it? Do we need to evolve? Some people may feel like that we don't need to evolve. You may disagree with me on the evolution period. We may feel like that we're just fine in the direction we're going on, that we have a lock on it, that we need to enact some of the things that we have already. I personally, I just disagree. I see a lot of posturing. And remember, like always, my mouth is closer to my ears. I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, we do everything right at the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination. We try. We attempt to serve the people and to um, educate the masses to participate in their own liberation struggle. But I disagree when I see I don't hear a practical solution. I don't see a plan coming together. I see a lot of us talking about unity. I see a lot of us professing that we want to be unified, but I don't see us taking steps in that effort. And what does unity look like? Have we gotten past our egos enough and checked our egos? Are we politically educated enough to unify? Some of us are stuck on a base level and some of us are in outer space. Can we find a middle ground, a common ground? What does this evolution look like? One of the evolutions, I would talk about the evolution to me, the evolution of revolution. Revolution starts with, like I said earlier today, uh, in the beginning in my open uh, monologue, my open dialogue, I said that um, consciousness, a revolutionary consciousness, we have to achieve this consciousness. We have to be aware of our current situation, how we got here, and some of the things that we can utilize that may quite possibly further us and begin to remove us and separate us from the system that we're in. And in order to do that, once we become conscious, we begin to create a revolutionary culture. You begin to create a revolution. Once you become conscious of the self-destructive behavior that we, dis- um, that we display to ourselves, and the practices and the community, once you become conscious of that, you begin to try to change the culture. And how do you change the culture? You create institutions that foster that change, that aid and assist that change. Because we're talking about a system. We're being oppressed by a system. This is why I say that the revolution must evolve. It is no longer the individual white man. It is no longer some random white person walking the streets 
and working a job that is oppressing us. It is no longer the white man like that. It is not the white man. The white man, the most that white people are guilty of, the average white people, are guilty of in America is white entitlement and white privilege. Half of them don't know what's going on. The most that they are guilty of in America, the ones that don't, the masses, are white entitled and white privilege. So it is not the white man. Then what is it, Brother Yang, if it's not the white man? It is a white supremacist, imperialist, capitalist, oppressive state. It is a system. Believe me, you, I stay in Atlanta. I see more of these handkerchief head, boot-licking, Uncle Tom, buck-dancing, Amos and Andy, shucking and grinning, smiling and yezzabos and Negroes, upholding and implementing a white supremacist, racist, state power, culture, economics, and politics than I do white people down here. So is my struggle, would it be accurate to say the white man, you say the white man down here, they'll tell you, shut up. They don't want to hear it. They see niggas oppressing them other day. It has to be pointed out that the system has become oppressive. The system has to be changed. African people here in America suffer from what a lot of people who have been colonized suffer from, and it's neocolonialism. And it's real. It's not just a word that's in a textbook. Neocolonialism is real. When a people have been colonized and subjugated to a certain authority and certain power, and it's not just by military might, but by cultural might, economic might, and political might, we begin to assimilate that. I was asking my chief of staff one day, you know, and the brother, he has this, you know, the brother has this scientific mind, and he, he breaks it down. And I was saying, what is with the sisters that wear blind hair and blue contact eyes? Why are they emulating their oppressor? And he broke it down, and I'm paraphrasing there again. He said that it's the nature of any animal, because we're just highly evolved mammal, to mimic the thing that has been successful. It's a matter of survival. It's almost primal. That's amazing. How do you get kicked off your own show? We must be speaking fire today, brothers and sisters. We must be bringing the pain. Listen, let me go to my phone lines. I thank everybody for being patient and, and, and holding on. Let's go to our phone lines. 817-987. Oh, pardon, body. 817, your mic is open. I'm not even going to call out the rest of them. 817, your mic is open. True peace, brothers. Can you hear me? True peace. I can hear you. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't just my phone that got kicked out the key. I'm like, I can't hear anything. How y'all doing tonight? We're good. We're good. How about yourself? I'm wonderful this week. I need Jay. Um, I'm along with your brothers tonight. All power to the people. Um, I, I heard a little bit of the topic. Uh, I came in and I heard um, you speaking about our spiritual systems. And that only being one aspect of what's going on with us as a people, I just want to be clear on what the topic is tonight. Okay. Our topic tonight is evolution of revolutionary thought and action. And that actually touches into it. You know, what are we calling revolutionary thought and action, and have we evolved enough to really begin a process of a revolutionary change? 
You know, do we have the proper analysis? Are we aware enough, conscious enough to um, begin that process of bringing about a complete and constructive change in our society? I would say no, because um, we, we're going to definitely have to have um, cooperation from the race as a, as a collective. And right now there's just too much separation and fighting amongst us as a people because there's such a lack of historical knowledge of self, even for those who are um, uh, somewhat knowledgeable and somewhat um, comprehensive on on the fact that we are Africans and we did go through a, a period of slavery, and that's the thing. I I I mean I come in contact with a lot of um, women who are participating in in Black History Month, but they're still Christians and they still come from a perspective of us being slaves. And I think until they break that barrier down to of the fact that or 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 um our slavery period, you know, to know that. There's something before that, and that's what keeps a lot of people confined in religion and keep us separated is because of that fear of, you know, whatever was going on with us before we were slaves. So there's too many of us who are comfortable where we are right now. And so in that comfort zone, they don't want to be moved out of that. That's that's scary for them. So, no, I don't think we're ready for that. I think now is the time where we should be collecting all the information we can and disseminating all the information amongst the people that we can possibly conjure up and bring to them. But, no, definitely it's not – we're not ready for that type of um, change because that brings too much commitment. It's, you're right. It's a major change, you know. But one of the things that I would say about this, you know, if, if us as revolutionaries made revolution a part of our culture, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm always quoting for the people who listen, they know our manual speaks about the three Ds, define, develop, and defend. I'm always quoting that because I love it. And defining, having the definition, I think that we have to define revolution. See, we Man, don't know I was that. thinking that. You right, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. See, us because as African people, people, when they hear revolution, they just think fight. They think war. So yeah, that brings about yeah. fear. They don't know yeah. revolution is a part of change because most people think that evolution is what change is, not knowing that evolution is a more um, negative form of change, not a change for the positive. It was actually us. It was a decline for us. Evolution is only positive for a certain race of people. It, it, mm-hmm. It's not positive for the black race. Our positive yeah, when you, is right. involved. When you, when, you involved. <laughs> right. when you involve people, absolutely. You know, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was agreeing with you. No, I know you were. I, was just, I didn't want to just interrupt, but. That's what it oh, is. No, no, so no. defining defining is something that we definitely have to do. But I think the oh, most man. important thing that black people are going to have to start doing is being honest. And I've been talking about this for so long, you know, and I was having a conversation with my cousin on Sunday, and she's just taking her back because she's just now coming into a realization that, okay, slavery really literally ended because we from the South. We, 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 
so she was like, you know, it was hard for her to wrap her mind around the fact that for us, slavery really only ended a couple generations ago. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's not a lot of time. We really still fresh. So I was telling her, I said, you know, in all of my intellectualness and in all my intelligence, it's hard for people to believe me or to accept when I say, I don't know how to read, you know, and they like, why would you say that? You this, you this, you that. And I'm like, no, because I constantly find myself writing down words. I have built a whole new vocabulary where I'm writing down words and I'm literally defining these words, not going off of context clues or what I think the word might mean, but I'm actually defining the word so I'm mm-hmm. sure what I'm saying. And she yeah. was just like, you know what, that's that's really you know, big of you to just say that. And I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm dumb or anything like that, but we got to be honest with ourselves. There's a lot of, yeah. if we start reading a lot of different documents and things like that, we really don't know. We can identify the words, but comprehension is somehow totally different. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's what I mean by us, like you were saying, us defying. And I, I definitely appreciate that. I, I, you know, I appreciate that that input. Here, one, I'm going to go to the phone lines. I see you lighting up. Um, on the phone lines, and I'm going to get you. But like the sister was saying, I like how she said she writes the words to understand the, you know, to have a comprehensive uh, meaning, you know what I'm saying, to be able to comprehend that thing, really feel it. But us as African people, we have to define these words that fit our culture. And redefining revolution, when we redefine revolution as that complete and total constructive change, we do that to begin to um, implement that into our culture. You know, the sister hit on some key facts that I wanted to touch on a few points. One, like, you know, like she said, the experience of slavery is real. But I feel like that it should be embraced. It should be embraced. The American experience happened to us as Africans here in America. There's no way. I think that one of our biggest problems, when we talk about the evolution of revolution, you know, I think that we don't look, we don't want to progress. We don't take a revolutionary thought that is progressive. We want to regress. We want to go back to pre-colonized Africa. We began to romanticize some things. You know, I had a brother that went to Africa. Like he said, the Africans always know when the American, the African, the so-called African-American comes over there because he out African, the African. You know what I'm saying? In our effort to embrace that culture, which we should because it's a part of who we are, but not to the exclusion of the real-life experiences that happen to us as enslaved people. Enslaved people. Like she said, we must first realize, go back to history so you know that you were a free people. You know, you weren't born a slave. Your ancestry didn't come out. Slavery is not the beginning of the African here in America, despite what they would have us to believe and think when they teach us in their history books. They don't take us to the continent. They start right there, slavery, slavery. So you have our young minds thinking that this is the beginning, the inception of the African here in America. Not really because they don't go into that. But, you know, so we should, but not to the exclusion of. We should touch Africa, embrace Africa, love Africa, but not to the exclusion of the real-life experience that we as Africans went through here. And not in a sense of judgment, but just in a sense of actual factual. And the sum, the totality of our experiences, from the revolutionary experience and those of us that resisted and resisted and are still resisting to those of us 
that have volunteered for military service, that had thought that liberation and empowerment of African people would come from showing Europeans that we were not only equal but better in what we did. So embracing the whole experience and the whole sum total, that way we can learn from the mistakes. Look at the athletes who go above and beyond. Athletic powers out of this world. Michael Jordan can fly. Swear a brother got wings. You got brothers on those football fields trucking and running through people. So these are good things to celebrate. But at the same time, why do we embrace the whole the totality of the American experience? Because then we show our people where these brothers went wrong and all their African splendor and glory and all their athletic powers and all their ability. This godlike ability, this inhuman ability that they possess and display on these fields of sports and in these sports arenas, they still have suffered from neocolonialist mindset and marrying white women and embrace not just, you know, marrying white women, but embrace a culture. See, let us define America. Let's go back to that, man. I'm reading one of my. This I've been turned on to one of the most fabulous. I mean, he has to be in the 21st century one of the most brilliant black thinkers out there. The brother Sharif Abdullah, man. I mean, and his books are just phenomenal. You know, I don't know if you brothers ever read one of those books. You read a page, you brothers and sisters, you read a page, and then have to just shut the book and think and contemplate on the page for 20 minutes. I mean, it's that serious. And one of the things he says, and I, I you know, and I concur wholeheartedly. He says when he talks about America, we're not talking about the economic, political aspect of America right just all the time. We're talking about the cultural social of America. America has an identity. Since America is a bastard country that was founded by immigrants, and it's amazing that they're trying to run immigrants out of here, but that was founded by immigrants and is a mishmash of various cultures, then America has no culture that um, goes back before um, recorded history, you dig? So America is a hodgepodge of these things. So America has an identifiable, an, an identifiable culture that is uniquely American. Everybody knows American. And even if you're not from America, you can have a culture or you can, you can act a certain way that is American. You can be from anywhere, but you can act a way that is American. So when we talk about America, when we talk about this American experience, I'm not just talking about the economic and political repression and oppression. We're talking about the social cultural. I'm talking about the mindset that affects African people over here. So we have to go back to Africa to get a base foundation of who we are, but we can't forget the influences of the American experience. We can't forget the influences of the American experience. Let me go to our phone lines. Area code two one six. Was that five three six three? Your mic is open. Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Black power. Uh, Black power. It's, it's something that I want to run down since it's February, and we're dealing with um, um, the, the history. First, I want to uh, drop this on uh, Malcolm Elhaj Malik. Okay, but you know, I'm not, I'm not trying, I want you to still, you know, kind of keep it on, uh, make sure that it's still on our topic where we're talking about the evolution of revolutionary theory and thought, and I know you're the perfect one to come in with, to drop something on that, so I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to venture too far off the topic. 
Oh, no, no, because we're talking about the evolution of Malcolm, who was uh, okay. raised, and Malcolm, who was uh, converted by his brother when he was in prison, and joined the Nation of Islam. A lot of brothers and sisters don't know that. He uh, went to Mecca in uh, 1959, representing the honor of Elijah Muhammad, but it wasn't hard. Then he made his hard. In uh, 1964, where he got his name, El Hodge. A lot of brothers and sisters in the religious and spiritual community that Malcolm said needed to grow the evolution. He left there. He went to Ghana, Kenya, Liberia, Kuwait, Uganda, Tanzania, Guinea, Lebanon, Ethiopia. He went there, and then he went to Angola, Mozambique, where the freedom fighters. And his evolution of uh, the revolution was moving more and more and more. He went to an organization of Afro-American Unity where he joined and began to work with the progressive movement and civil rights movement, which we don't look at. We look at the whole civil rights movement, even Black Lives Matter. There's a comrade that we need to snatch in all these movements. Malcolm understood that. That's why I said Afro-American Unity back then, African Unity. What has happened with Malcolm understood that it's a cadre like us. If we look for a mass movement, it ain't going to happen overnight. And I'm going to say the evolution of revolution, what burned the forest down? It ain't the fire. It's the spark. And I'm saying that the cadres, if we continue to teach and continue to do what we're doing, we'll spark to burn the forest down. But if we don't like that mass, the forest is going to never get burned down. So I'm saying that when we look at that we're not getting the masses in, don't mean that the masses are not listening. They are listening, but they got to die. Yes, that you and I, the evolution, we were all niggas at one time. We were all Negroes mm-hmm. at one time. We all had uh, American slave names at one time. And for us to sit back and say the people are ignorant, the brothers and sisters who came before us could say the same thing about you and I. But because yeah. they taught us, we listened, that evolution and a revolution simply mean changes. And that's what we have to say when we say revolution, like the sisters were saying, People look at violence. Now, revolution is changes. Revolution and science, revolution, education, and our economics. So I just want to share that. And on the international law, what Malcolm talked about, all that fall on the uh, on the human rights, social, economic, education, and all of that. Our life. Don't think they ain't listening. They listening, but they looking. I'm talking revolution yeah. and still being a nigger. Then they ain't mean nothing. I'm talking revolution and still in doodle. That mean nothing. If I'm talking revolution, they got to the revolution changing you. If I'm still running, doing things that I did, but got a panther uniform on, but got a kufi and a turban on, but still doing things. I'm just a well dressed Negro man. Revolution means change. Like power. Yeah. Like power. That's right on, man, and I appreciate that, Abu. And that's right on. That's what we talk about. We talk about the revolution. Um, um, when we talk about revolution, we're talking about that complete and constructive change. But that's the key. I think that that's the, the, the key word, change. People are going to ask themselves, why should they change? How is it advantageous for them to change? What's the benefit in changing? We've taken the conscious community. This is why, I, you know, a lot of times I don't like the word revolution being synonymous with the so-called conscious community. I tell people all the time consciousness simply means being awake. 
You know, I can lay in the bed and come back to consciousness. It doesn't mean that I've put my foot on the floor and I've actually started my day. I'm just laying there. I'm conscious, though. You know, I hear my children. I can hear what's going on around me. doesn't mean that I've actually gotten up and went to work. So the revolutionary is proactive. The revolutionary is not only conscious, but the revolutionary, he or she, is one that is very proactive. So the people have to know or want to know why should they change? How is it advantageous to them? What benefit would they get out of the pain of changing? Uncomfortable. That is. Even if it isn't beneficial to me, even if I'm suffering, even if I'm hungry, I have to we you know, I this ain't going right, my landlord, I'm this is familiar. You're talking something that is unfamiliar. So revolution, the revolutionary must be one that goes through and can take the revolution and address it in such a manner or, or articulate it in such a manner and begin to establish programs in such a manner that it addresses the everyday issues of the masses. He got this. Uh, he has to show the example. It's like I said, uh, Malcolm was big red, the pimp, drug dealer, yeah. breaking yeah. artist, and all that. He yeah. showed he run him more prep, you know, a uh, gangster, a uh, 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 warrior on the streets. Most of these brothers that have show ancestors, that what brought the Panthers in movement. It was something that changed and showed that example. And the brothers say, man, I remember, man, young guy, I remember this brother. This, this. Man, it was a thug, but look at him now. He's raising a family, taking his family, making the work, the community. See, talking is one thing, walking is another thing. And when people see you change because you're the example. We, mm-hmm. we are in the physical world. When they see that you change, they say, man, that brother, so-and-so used to be a big thug, but look at him. He got a breakfast program. He got this. So because we got so many brothers and sisters, like you said earlier, and you broke it down. Oh, we can go all the way to Kemet, but we can't go mm-hmm. broke down. You know, we got to talk about building a pyramid, and we can't build a project house. You know, so. And that's, that's the ticket. And that's the ticket, exactly what you're talking about, Abu. It's. And setting the example, I, I think we go back to what you were talking about, that third development path, or what a lot of people refer to as the original. You know, not only what it did they set the example, but they enabled, they had the programs to begin to set the institutions where people could go through the change. See, the revolutionary now, we must be a people of action. You know, right. set the example because the revolutionary is a type, but our program has to, they have to evolve into institutions that give the tools and the resources that enable the masses or those people to begin to change their life. Too That's many right. times our programs are programs are just social services. It's like we're in right. competition with the state. And you would never out-resource the state. You're not going to be out-resource the state. So that your program should have an end aim, an objective, a goal. You should be right. trying to, in my opinion, of course, enlighten the people and introduce the people to self-sufficiency and self-determination. When we look right. at one of the things I marvel at night, I, you know, I think that gets me the most about the third development Panther party, the original Panther party was that the community, the collectivism, the community involvement, the fact that it showed it's a spill from the honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey that shows that we as a people possess the resources and the capability and know-how to run our own programs and institutions that will eventually lead to full self-sufficiency and independence. But those programs that feed the uh, children program, the shoe refurbishing, the testing for the not just sickle cell anemia but the health clinics and the various programs that they had, 
show the community that it could rely and depend completely on itself. And it's frightened. A repressive state, a state that is dependent on your nigitude. Is that a word? Did I just make up a word, brothers and sisters? Nigitude. They're dependent on your dependency. You see, isn't that, isn't that crazy? The state is dependent on you being dependent on the state. So the state had to erode that sense of self-confidence and that sense of self-worth and undermine the third development by trying to um, or attempting to undermine the third development by implementing these same programs themselves. But here's the difference between when the third, because they say, well, now the school's got free breakfast. Now this place has free lunch, or you can get this free, or that happens free. Yes, but what is the programming that goes with it? And this is what we have to look at. We're looking at that everything that we do must evolve, must become an institution for training, not just galvanizing the masses, but introducing and informing the masses to revolutionary thought and providing the training for them to translate that thought into real revolutionary action. There is not enough revolutionary action on a practical level. We're not ready to, like the sister said, we're not ready to commit to that. We would rather go to the extremes. We love the sensationalism. We love to march up and down the street with our guns. We love to be on Facebook at the target range and doing all these other things and so-called food programs and still have neo-colonialist mentality. Still think like your oppressor. Because you can tell the institutions that we're establishing aren't revolutionary institutions, they're just counter-institutions to the repressive state. They got a white militia, we get a black militia. What's the difference? They got a white this, we get a black that. We begin to, it's not a revolutionary change, it's just different. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's just a difference. It's like Marxist, it's like communism and capitalism. Communism isn't a new form of thinking about it because it was still a European who didn't factor in certain um, situations that affected African people. So it was just a answer to capitalism, but based on the same thought process of capitalist Europeans because it's all the same conscious level. We have to change our conscious level. If we're still thinking like the oppressor, every institution we make will just be a twin of the oppressive institution. We will turn around and do the same thing that our oppressors are doing. And we see what that breeds. Why do you think there's resistance in us? No, no, my friend. We're not looking for any type of, we're not trying to inflict harm on the earth a harm on humanity, a harm on any particular people. We're not targeting people for um, genocide or fratricide, you know, uh, uh, chemical warfare. We're not condoning that. We're not encouraging that. What we're saying is us as a people, as an African people, have a right to exist unencumbered, unhindered, obstacle-free to natural evolution 
And if you don't give that, which we understand your history has shown that you won't give it, whether it's out of hatred, I tend to believe that it's out of the pure need for your survival for the in, that ensures your continuancy of your state. But whatever the reason that you think you can end on press us, us as a people are saying that that no longer is an option for us. And we will get our liberation by any and all means necessary. But first, we have to believe that. We have to believe that we will get it by any and all means necessary. So when we say that, that doesn't naturally, those of us who have romanticized the revolution, those of us Africans who have romanticized the struggle, who have watched too many Rambo flicks, they watch too many revolutionary movies, and they think when you're saying all means, by any and all means necessary, that that means to get out there and bang, bang, shoot them up. That's not what we're saying. We say by any and all means necessary, we mean that. So if it's political, economic, education, just loving your wife properly, raising your children, it begins in the home. The consciousness must evolve to a revolutionary thinking. We must be on constant 24-hour awareness of what we think because thoughts manifest actions, and actions manifest tangible things. Actions manifest tangible things. They, they manifest materials. So we have to be on constant watch, constant guard from our thinking. And it's okay, brothers and sisters, it's okay. A real tragedy has occurred to us as African people here in America. Our experience is real. No matter how much we love to escape, no matter how much we love to be from the mothership, or we love to be, we grow our lives, we want to be from Jamaica or Haiti's, or we go back to Africa and we want to be from, you know, directly from pre-colonial Africa. Before Africa was colonized, we romanticize these things. We want to go back to being primitive. I can understand that. I don't agree with it, but I can understand why you feel that way. You've been beat. You've been you've been you've been handled so much that you'd rather go back to damn near the Stone Age than face the situations and problems that you're facing today. It's too much to deal with. It's too much like real life. It takes responsibility and accountability to evolve the revolution. To really evolve, to really begin to look at some concrete plans, to really begin to discipline yourself enough, train yourself enough, to change and mend your ways, to begin to look at brothers and sisters differently. Niggerism is easy because we've been steeped in that. We've been conditioned to behave and to think like niggers, and niggers are just offshoots of white supremacy, white you know, white people, niggas, niggas are the counterparts to white America. But the African, the African, the black man and woman that has evolved in their being can't help but devolve in revolutionary thinking. And then that revolutionary thinking, revolutionary actions begin to take place. And that's when we begin to start to see the change in our communities. Like Chairman Carr said, let us begin first by starting that cadre. Let's start with that group of brothers and sisters who are serious about a change and start to formulate ideas and become active. And they don't have to be, you know, one of the things that kills me about us in these movements 
means we we everyone wants to be the premier organization. Everyone wants to be the premier movement, and we don't have to be. I'm constantly telling my party why reinvent the wheel. We get with organizations that are already doing some things. Let's contribute. Let's add to the work, uh, the labor force. Let's add to the resources. Let's get those things done. Let's begin to address the issues that they've already taken the lead in addressing and say, where can I be beneficial? Where can I be useful at? We, the people who's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, are here to aid and assist. I don't have to be, aren't you the national? Yeah, I'm the national chairman. That's my national chief. That's my national minister. That's my national minister policy. This and that. This, but listen, we're here soldiers. How can we aid and assist to empower our people? We need to take advantage. We need to a real revolutionary scientific analytical uh, thinking. A revolutionary who's thinking like that begins to look at, like I said, everything that affects them in their day-to-day life. So they go to the school board meetings. It amazes me how readily we ought to say that we're willing to die for the revolution, but not willing to live for African people in America. Not willing to begin to take, it's, I'm not even asking that major sacrifice of you. Because if you won't go to a city council meeting, if you won't go to a police review board, if you won't sit and talk civilized to someone in a so-called authoritative position that represents this repressive state, if you won't at least address them or in, 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 in civility, then how can I expect you to be sincere about saying that you're willing to die for the revolution. You wouldn't even talk to anyone. You wouldn't take the time to go to a meeting and sit down at a meeting and listen to the changes that are affecting because they're constantly affecting changes. And what they do is put these policies in place to justify the murder, the oppression, the exploitation, the gentrification of African people and other ethnicities Minorities here in America and international policies to affect third world countries and affect those people, uh, especially people of African descent, globally. But we don't know this because we're not, are we, you know, my thing is, are we serious about revolution? Or is this the new, is this the new cool and hip thing? Is this what's happening now? To be, to call yourself a revolutionary without any revolutionary concepts or any revolutionary understandings or any real plans to affect a positive and constructive change for the oppressed African here in America? Or is it Facebook likes? And this is not, you know, a lot of these questions, brothers and sisters, are redundant. I expect for, and not redundant, but rhetorical, I mean, I, I expect for you to think about these things and take them home and to ponder and to just really take a good look at yourself, to really think on it. Am I sincere about what I'm doing? Or is it cool? Have I changed? Like Chairman Carr said, some of my ways and actions, 
that are counterproductive and counterrevolutionary. Do I practice one of my biggest things, accountable spending? Do I practice accountable spending? How can I to be sincere about the revolutionary struggle and you don't even you spend haphazardly, aimlessly, not just wastefully, but you spend with companies that support atrocities in Africa and support administrations and uh, policy makers that make policies that targeted African people. How many of us know that Bill Clinton was instrumental in getting the three strike you out policy legislated? Oh, but you Negroes love Bill Clinton. Love you some Bill. Bill was black. Love Bill Clinton. Don't know he was instrumental in getting that policy implemented that got so many black men and black women life sentences for misdemeanors, three strikes. We don't do the research, but yet and still, you will find these very people hollering about they're willing to die for you. But I haven't informed you. Don't love you enough to gently and righteously admonish you to give a constructive criticism on a destructive lifestyle that we're, that we're living. A non-accountable, non-sensible lifestyle. The revolution must evolve. The revolutionary must evolve in order for the revolution to evolve. The revolutionaries within earshot of my voice must begin to step their game up to such an extent that it puts pressure on the counterproductive, counterrevolutionary elements that have infiltrated this movement. The only way to really weed them out is through political study and revolutionary action then you will be able to clearly see the antagonists. You will be able to clearly see those people that have been placed in our ranks to be provocateurs, to distract us and lead us astray from real revolutionary struggle that ultimately will be the empowerment and liberation of African people in America. The only way to see them is to be different from them, to begin to practice a revolutionary culture and lifestyle, because if you're acting like a nigger, you can't see a nigger. How do you see a nigger and you acting just like the nigger? How do you see that they're antagonists and provocateurs and agents for the repressive state when you're behaving just like them? When your education, your political understanding, I'm not talking about formal education. I'm talking about revolutionary education matches theirs. You haven't challenged them to step up. Real revolutionaries have raised the bar so high in their revolutionary and political understanding that agents have come out and said, listen, man, I got to tell you, I'm an agent. They sent me in here to infiltrate you, but I listen to you teach. I listen to what you're saying. This and that, man, I, I, I couldn't do that, man. I'm an agent. That's how hard we've had these revolutionary organizations to raise the bar in that study and in their implementation of the revolutionary culture and lifestyle that even the agent will begin to feel bad and ashamed for coming at this person when they hear all they hear is the message of self-determination which every, every human being has a right to. Yes, even that white man has a right to their self-determination. I don't have a problem with them being self-determined. They've shown me that they are determined. 
Haven't they showed you that they're determined? Now it's time for the world to see the determination of the African here in America. We've showed them that we're determined to be everything but. We've embraced every cultural understanding, every political ideology, every social philosophy, from Tibetanism to Buddhism to Mahatma Gandhi's nonviolence, passive resistance. We've been communist, socialist, capitalist, Muslim, Jews, Christians, Moors. Hell, we began to start making up shit. We're from outer space, from underwater, from the air to ether. We we don't we have done everything to escape the reality that we face day to day. We have done everything and said that we are everything to escape the fact that we have been brought here against our will. And some people say we were here before then, nonetheless, but that we're targeted based on no other criteria, but that we're the descendants of African people and we have a certain amount of melon in our skin. It's undeniable. Being discriminated for no other reason. That alone should be the unifying factor. That in itself should bring us unity. And it can be done. We've seen oppressed people do it before. We have seen them. We have seen them do it before. You look at the Latin American or Latin community globally. Look at the Latin community globally. Were they not enslaved and subjected to uh, servitude and everything that comes with it? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, they were. And yet and still they took that that oppressor's language and have made a global brother, and now they call themselves Spanish-speaking people. I'm 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 Spanish. I like what Paul Paul Mooney said. I thought Spanish was a language. <laughs> they call themselves Spanish speaking people, taking their, their oppressor's language and unifying on that. How much more so has the crime perpetrated against Africans here in America compared to any people in in the annals of human history? There is no comparison to the chattel slavery, to the atrocities that were inflicted upon African people, and I'll say it, not even amongst the Jewish people. You can save that. What about the Holocaust? You can save it. Not even amongst the Jewish people. Your numbers pale in comparison to the death of African people. The, the robbery of Africa of its greatest resource, that being her people. And then you're going in and carving her up like a Christmas turkey, populating the earth with African peoples, peoples of African descent. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. So if those people can do it, I'm sorry, I'm trying to multitask, and you know your chairman. So if those people can unite on that, you know how much more so should the African here in America be able to unite on their shared um, enemy? And when I say enemy, I'm not talking about any individual enemy. 
I'm talking about on a system that has been designed for your servitude and your subjugation. Our unity must be, and our unity can be, to get us from under this yoke of oppression, this burden that we face as African people. This is evolution under revolution. Let's not fall for our own hope. Personally, in my, on my transmissions, on the radio programs, brothers and sisters, I'm constantly telling the masses, not the leaders of these organizations, but the everyday rank-and-file membership of these organizations, challenge the leadership. Hold the leadership to task. Ask, what are we doing and what direction are we going in, and are we taking steps to do that? Or a lot of us, what we've done is, like I said, if it isn't a social club, it's a feel-good movement. We don't taste anymore, see? You got too hip for yourself. You didn't got so full of your so-called knowledge that you think you're leaving the church, but you're still doing the same Christian shit. You're still doing the same Islamic shit. I ain't a Muslim no more. Them Arabs got you, man. You're still doing the same Islamic shit, though, brother. You just, what you call it now? Yoruba? Ifa Vudun? What you call it? Out of space, man? What, what are you calling it now? You're still doing the same thing. You've went from one escape to another escape, but you haven't addressed the problems that affect us as Africans here in America, and you haven't contributed to that. And if you do, and you think you're doing it because you say, well, you know, I fed, the, I, I fed some homeless, hungry people. That's, a, that's a, what I call a conscious reliever. It's to make you feel good. You might as well went back to church and paid your tithe, paid into the building fund. That don't never get done. Your church has been collecting bills for forever. Give your sadaqa, your zakah, to the magic. I don't know what the Hebrews call they're giving away of their wealth to other people. There's some holy name for it. We always have some way to justify why that wealth is leaving our community empowering other people. So I don't know what they call it. So now we've done it in the conscious community. We set up a little program. We go out with our little soup cans and our little rice, and we feed a few hungry people, never working on programs to give them the tools for self-sufficiency. This is why J. Edgar Hoover said that the Panthers was one of the most dangerous groups to America. They were giving Africans the tools to independence and self-sufficiency. It wasn't just about feeding no people. We got caught up. We didn't get caught up in the hype. Feed the people. That's what you thought the extent of it was? Carry your gun. Police the police. That's what you think the extent of this is? That's your revolution? Police in the police? Police in the police. That's where it stops at. Feed some hom- homeless people. That's your extent of revolution? Protesting. They killed another one of us. That's your extent of revolution? Where is the complete and total change? That's pacifism. That's giving you something to do. That's to bide your time. That's to make you feel better about so-called being black and about the conditions that you're facing without really addressing them or committing to a real change. Got a lot of these pacifist organizations that give you some feel-good remedies. You Negroes don't want change. And I'm not even talking about the masses. 
I'm talking about those of us, this is an accusation, an indictment for those of us, and my mouth is closer to my ears, that call ourselves revolutions, that can't come together, sit down with a comprehensive, and come up with a comprehensive strategy to evolve and intensify the revolutionary struggle of Africans here in America. The struggle must intensify. We can't keep doing the same thing. It's 2018. The writing's on the wall. It's blatant in our face. I hear you crying about it. I read your post. Trump this. Trump that. I see you. But what are you willing to do about it? Are you willing to put bygones, let bygones be bygones, man up and woman up and allow the differences to go to the side and work together for a collective good? That author I was telling you about, Sharif M. Abdullah, in his book, Creating a World That Works for All, he says that if we spend less time arguing, I mean, again, listen, common sense. He says that if we spend less time arguing about our differences and more time in talking about what we have in common, we will begin to change our consciousness. There are always going to be differences. There's going to be, you can talk about that Willie Lynch, it's always going to be that. That's how we handle it. We're not a monolithic people. There's always going to be tall, short, heavy, thin, light, dark, bald, dreadlocks. It's always going to be differences. The beauty of African people is we're not a monolithic people. We're diverse people. And in these diversities, great things have happened. We've given the world jazz. We gave the world hip-hop. We gave the world Michael Jordan. We gave the world Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali. We even gave the world Tiger Woods with his compilation self. He can call himself what he wants. He's black. He found out he was black when he cheated on his white wife and she busted his stuff up. He found out he was a nigger. We've given the world these things. And how did we bring them to the world? In our diversity. So diversity is something to embrace within ourselves. So there's always going to be differences. But those differences shouldn't keep us apart because the similarities are greater than the difference, especially when the similarities cost us our life. When they pull us over, there's not a black man or a black woman. I don't give a damn if your head is wrapped like Fatima. If it's more Fatima bit Mohammed, the daughter of uh, Papa Mohammed, or if your head is wrapped like Mary Magdalene, or wrapped like, I don't know, some Jewish, famous Jewish, or India Ari, Erica Badu. Or you can have a weave or whatever. Same with the brothers. When you're pulled over, that could be a life or death encounter. Look at our dear sister, Sandra Bland. So the similarities are greater than our differences because the similarities could mean life or death for us. So why are we not embracing that? Why are we not building on that? Why are we not using that as the cornerstone and the foundation to begin a revolutionary and this dynamic revolutionary shift in consciousness and in action in building institutions? I'm extending the hand. I'm reaching out. I talked to a leader of an organization who is doing wonderful things, and they have went international, and that is a great thing. I applaud them on that. And I like um, what the sister had said. The sister said, though, 
we need to do something nationally. The international has their thing together. We need to begin to work collectively nationally. Cross party lines. It is time to work across the party lines. Everybody in their specialty and in their field, if you do military cross training, if that's really what you do, or is it that you want to be the premier organization? See, the problem with people working, us working together, is that when we work together, we begin to raise the standards of one another. People don't want their standards raised. You have to watch the intentions and the motives of a lot of these so-called revolutionary organizations, and specifically these so-called revolutionary leaders, because they are evolving and turning into cults. They want followers. So they're scared to expose them to any other thought process or any other revolutionary, any other book. And us being a people used to being subjected fall for it readily. We fall for it readily. We don't even know a lot of times that we're entering into a cultish mentality. We're talking about freeing the masses of people and having freed ourselves. This is why we talk about that revolutionary consciousness. This is why we talk about, I talk about the neo-colonialist mind all the time. I know people say, man, that is getting redundant. This brother is always talking about this neo-colonialist mind because we bring it into our organizations and our organizations become many organizations or they become, uh, what do they call them, microcosm, microcosms. Of the macrocosm, they become many governments of the government that repressed us. You'll find the same tactics and the same antics and the same buffoonery and cartoon-ass Negroes in these organizations that you will find in the, in, in, in the so-called American government body, in the so-called American political system. Same shit. You find the same stuff. Same stuff. So it isn't advantageous to a lot of the leaders to really work across party lines. They don't really want to change like that professing. They want to whip you up into some hype and some frenzy, play on your emotionalism, have you all upset, play on a fear factor. See, you react out of fear. They can scare you. You are watching. They coming. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. He ain't got to do all that. All you got to do is shut your grocery store down. I mean, these niggas got no farms. No gardens. He ain't got to do all that. You know what he's going to damn do. You don't even want to see him when he gets to that level. That means you're shaking something. When he's, when, he, when he's at that military might level with you, he'll send a drone in there on you. Stick his German shepherds on you. Have you niggas will be shook then. See, it ain't even to that level. It's everyday assault that we face that we have to wake the masses of people up. But we feel like we want to come out here. We want to be so Billy Badass. We want to scare the masses of people. We want shock therapy. We want to scare the people into joining our formations of fighting for their own liberation. Hell, it's easier to be a nigger. You want me to do all that and it don't pay, bro? That's what they're going to tell you. It don't pay. You want me to do all of that and it don't pay. Oh, black man, this is for you, this is for you. But like Chairman Carr says, when I look at your lifestyle, your lifestyle isn't reflective of a revolutionary lifestyle. You're telling me to do all this, but I'm looking at your lifestyle. I'm looking at your dietary habits. I'm looking at your spending habits. I'm looking at your social habits. What's the difference between me and you besides that button or that patch you wear? What is the real difference between you and I, black man, black woman? This is what they're asking you when you're in the streets every day with the brothers and sisters. 
But by us not being out there, by it not being relatable, we don't really understand that. We don't feel that contradiction because we don't get out there in the streets amongst the masses of people. See, when you're with the masses of people, you feel that contradiction. You feel that, you know, man, yeah, I, I, I got to change. I'm out here participating in this and participating in that, and it isn't beneficial or edifying to my people. The people have to see a constructive change. They begin, in order for them to believe it, it has to address the things that affect them directly. Small accidents. And they're not so small, but I think it's the most, the tedious actions, the actions that take the most work, or the actions that um, repel us as revolutionaries. I don't know what you're waiting on, revolutionary brothers and sisters. So what is this evolution of the revolution? What is the evolution of the revolution? What is the evolution of revolutionary thought and action? I'm not telling us to scale back. I'm telling us to be realistic. The revolutionary thought and the revolutionary actions are realistic thoughts and actions in this day and time. This is why our membership is, is, is very exclusive, and it's hard to get into my party because we demand doesn't mean we won't work with you. You know, our whole thing is in to enlighten and inform and to galvanize and mobilize to inspire. What do they say? Agitate or uh, agitate and organize. You know what I'm saying? Educate, agitate, and organize. So that's our whole thing. You know, but every now and then we see that, that jewel, that gem that can get with the philosophy, get with the ideology, and we say, you know what, hook up with us because we see that you want more. But everybody can't do it. Everybody can't do it. Because there's a special type where they say only the few, the few, the proud. That's what the Marines say, the few, the proud. Only a few. Only a few. Everybody's not really ready to embrace this lifestyle. But what has happened is the third development Panthers were so good at their job and what they did that they made it cool. Now everybody wants to be a Panther. It's the cool thing. Everybody want a beret and a button. It's the cool thing. There isn't even a criteria. Chairman Carr, I tell you, when we talk about the Panthers of old, you used to have to go through the NCCF, the National Committee to Combat Fascism. They at least had to have some political education, know what they were talking about. I'm seeing chairmen and generals pop up out of the damn woodwork. Because they ain't never been a Boy Scout in the repressive state. Never led, they said they ain't led themselves on the right track and calling themselves leading the masses of people or leading a cadre to inform and enlighten the masses of people or to galvanize revolutionary thought, revolutionary action. Man, it's a joke. The evolution of the revolution by the revolutionary, we must begin to take this thing seriously and put such pressure, raise the bar to such a standard that it presses those brothers and sisters that have the propensity to be phonies and counterproductive, out of the movement. Stop catering to it. Stop playing with it. I don't entertain those clowns. That's exactly what they are, clowns. And it's to our detriment. It is to our detriment. Because these clowns, they grandize. They get out there. They present such an image to the revolution 
um, and about changing the condition of African people that when you and I go out and engage the masses, the masses don't want to hear it. The masses have had enough. They're fed up. They've been ripped off. They've been ran through. They've been, like Malcolm said, hoodwinked and bamboozled. They've been scammed. All kind of things have happened to them in the name of revolution. And here you come, and they want to know what makes you different from the other three or four brothers and sisters that came before you sounding similar to how you sound. So the evolution of the revolution is not just about informing and enlightening the masses, but about creating such a structure and, and lifting the moral and ethical code that those who would mean us harm and those who don't have good intentions for us will fall by the wayside or at the very least expose themselves. And then we can put labels on it. Then we can put labels on it. We're talking about the evolution of revolutionary thought and actions. I'm your host, National Chairman, um, Yang and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Independent Black Blog Talk Radio on this Tuesday. Let me go to my phone lines and open them up, 817-7732. Um, you're giving a real powerful show tonight. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep as much as you can because the thing is, um, because we don't, we haven't tapped into our own true science, our own true spiritual science. We don't know how um, significant and how important. Consciousness is And we don't even know it on a scientific level To know that it's um, uh, Infinite You know And and consciousness is going to present itself On different In different degrees So some of us are osculating On a higher consciousness And and others um, Are going to have to catch up You know And everybody is not going to be at the same place At the same time In the same space But you know, we are all working for, towards a common goal. I do want to also say that um, today was, in 1923, was the first uh, African-American professional baseball um, team in New York was organized today in 1923. So I just want to put that information out there. I also want to go back and say on, on Sunday, on the 11th in 1990. February 11, 1990, was the day that Nelson Mandela was released from prison after serving a 27-year bid, and tomorrow is is the birthday of Frederick Douglass. I just wanted to put that information out there, but I just want to say keep doing what you're doing, keep motivating the people. You know, we always need that person that's going to deliver us a message and and so so we can know, you know, um, our advancement is still relevant. You know, sometimes it gets lost, and it's something that you said, and the first thing that I thought about, well, first of all, let me go here. Um, we don't we don't truly understand how much we're still being exploited in North America, and you always talk about the neo-colonial mentality that we have, 
for me, a lot of that falls under religion. As long as most of our people are, are still attached to these religions who have historically um, um, paralyzed us and oppressed us from Christianity, Islam, uh, whatever, whichever religion it is that's coming from any of our oppressors from the, uh, other races, as long as we still have that in our minds, then we're going to have our own set of cognitive dissonance when it comes to our advancement as a people. Being the political um, aspect of it, you said something about um, Bill Clinton and how people look at Bill Clinton as being black and he ushered in the three strikes and you're out. But at that time in 1992, when he did that, 1992, 1993, it was him, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump that brought in three strikes and you're out. He wasn't just by himself. So right now we're operating under a president who was right along with him and said, yeah, three strikes and you're out, and people were um, getting light sentences for, like you said, um, misdemeanors. Hello? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm listening. You're absolutely right. But, you know, here's the difference. Donald Trump was in on that, too, you know. Yeah, uh, with, but Donald with, Trump with is blatant. Yeah, mm-hmm. but see, that's why I say that. Donald Trump is Donald Trump is blatant. People know about Trump. Trump hasn't tried to masquerade. Trump is, Donald President Trump is, and I'm exercising my, my, my First Amendment right of freedom of speech <laughs> for those fans listening. President Trump is an asshole. You know what right. I'm saying? And he's blatant about his assholeisms. You know, whereas we were fooled and deceived by Bill Clinton. Everybody was in love with, with Bill Clinton. And not mm-hmm. knowing, you know, that's what I was talking about, our, our lack of really doing the research behind things, really looking mm-hmm. at things that benefit us. We are, I like what you're talking about. You know, due to religion right. and other things, we've taken a cattle or sheep-like mentality, and we go with the herd. Right, and, and, and when we look at the political um, side of how we operate in this country. You know, we don't even look at or know that we are still being exploited. And the United States is set up as a free market, and black people are the absolutely most exploited people in North America. They, the, this system makes more money off of us. You, They make more money off of poor people than they do anywhere else in the world. We pay more taxes. We paying the work. We pay the foul taxes. They tax our taxes. We can't win for losing. And until we really grasp that concept, until we really grasp that truth and that reality, then people don't think there's anything to fight about. The real revolution, see, revolution is really synonymous with resurrection. And so it's about... It's not just about change. It's about a mental awakening. Mm-hmm. It's not just about a mental awakening on us being oppressed and, and different things like that. It's a mental awakening on a knowledge of self, and that's a thorough knowledge of self, and not just of you, of also other races and who they are and the and the uh, uh, role they have played in your life, the role they have played mm-hmm. in your oppression, suppression, and repression. You know, to know that they just set you free. We don't understand. We're operating like people on probation or parole 
you know, just because they so-called emancipated us and set us free or whatever, that still didn't come without regulations. We, we, we pretty much operate in this country like people with a, with a leg monitor. Everything we do is monitored. All our phones are tapped. Everything is under a microscope. Mm-hmm. And it's still you know, a form of slavery and imprisonment that we cannot escape because it's it's a it's a it's an intellectual thing. You have yeah. to know. And it's been beaten into our genetic memory. You know, I you know, one of I people we have grown to apathy. One of the things I was reading one time about how they train elephants in India. And when they say when they take an elephant, how they train an elephant in India, they say when the elephant is young, they chain it to a tree. Mm-hmm. So the elephant, as a young elephant, you know, it has that, that vigor, that spunk. It's trying to pull and it's trying to tug the chain and it's trying to break free. And eventually it realizes that it's futile. It's not going to break the chain. Right. They keep it chained up for years. It tries that. Eventually it just stops trying it. So when it becomes an adult elephant, you know what they do to it? Take the chain off the foot. They take the entire rope around its leg. Just simply a rope. In all its massiveness and its power, it could break that rope and be free. But it has been conditioned that it feels something on its leg that it has given up. The African people have been beat into a submissive state. And I don't think that what happens to me is, uh, uh, you know, my opinion is the revolutionary, when I talk about the evolution of the revolution, that the revolutionary has really thought about um, the experience, the American experience, taking that in a factor in their analytical studies or their, in their uh, analysis of revolutionary thought, theory, and practice in America. I think a lot of times that in our, you know, they want to, we, we, we practice escapism. You know, we go back to Africa. So, like, I'm an African. Make no bones about it. Love being African. But we go back so far, we want to go back to pre-colonial African. We want to go back to Africa before it was colonized. We want to, you know, relive the golden age of Africa, which is a beautiful age, but it's not the age we're living in. That's the equivalent of what the Palestinians are going through with Israel. It's like throwing rocks at tanks. It's not realistic. It's not practical. You can't want to go back to the golden age of Africa sitting in front of your internet. You can't do it. It's an oxymoron. But but even more than that, you know, Mm -hmm. how are you going to get there? Mm -hmm. So until you execute a plan on how you're going to get back to there, that's not even something to consider right now. You know, most people don't even want to take – have don't even have any plans on going back to Africa. So for me, you know, when I think about the evolution of revolution, it's going off into a um, higher realm of thought. And so yeah. with that higher realm of thought, it's time for us to uh, incorporate more science into what we're dealing with right now. It's time for mm-hmm. us to look at um, consciousness, like I said, as a form of natural ether and a natural electricity and a natural consciousness, an infinite consciousness that's going to raise the people. And so we 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 don't know what time it is, though. See, we only look at time as the face of, of the clock, but we don't consider universal time, and it's because we've been so far removed from that. You know, so for me personally, I would say once you once you see 
it's so much cognitive dissonance. It, when I look at somebody like you and when I listen to you and people like myself and different people on the panel, we're not scared to approach what we've learned about ourselves wholeheartedly and not try to um, sugarcoat this and candy coat that. We're ready to um, um, accept Everything that comes along with who we were, you know, some people, the first thing we say, the first thing they say is, well, you know, Africans sold Africans into slavery, but we can deal with that, you know, Mm -hmm. because at this point, most parents are exploiting their children right now in different industries and stuff like that. So, you know, we like I said, that's that neocolonialist. Thank you. That's that not elevating to that higher consciousness, which I love because, like, elevating to a higher consciousness, consciousness will begin to manifest itself in the action. When you elevate to a higher consciousness, it's like me elevating. Once I begin to have a revolutionary understanding, my actions begin to become more and more revolutionary. And the more that I um, try to attune and try to line up with that revolutionary thinking, that revolutionary consciousness, then the more and more my actions become revolutionary. What I'm asking the revolutionary. It's an internal thing, though. You're operating completely off of your natural um, mind, your natural, Mm -hmm. your internal instinct, what's instinctively in you to do and to be at this time. You know, there's a lot of us. We are are just acting to our highest potential, and it's what's natural inside of us. There's a lot of other people who like I said earlier, they they you know want to totter with um, a knowledge of self, but then it's scary when you have to give up certain things. Like you said, it, it, it'll show in your diet. It'll show in the gods that you worship. It'll show in what you want to watch on TV. So when we when all that ties into a knowledge of self and an enhancement of self, then a lot of people are not re- willing to give up. Um, but you know we need we need but everybody I, I agree with that. But you know that's why I say knowledge yourself. I love that. We need that knowledge yourself. But and I tell people though, self doesn't mean you exclusively. Self means not. us. Absolutely. Right. A collective. So the this higher way. consciousness for the right for this for the revolutionary. So a higher consciousness for the revolutionary must translate must begin to manifest itself into a revolutionary culture. Now, how do we get a revolutionary culture? The revolutionary must begin to build institutions that foster a revolutionary culture. Even the drug addict, you know, mm-hmm. who is trying to get off drugs and face this change, has a support group. Don't they? AA say, call your sponsor. Go to AA meetings. The revolutionary hasn't created an institution to foster and cultivate a conscious culture. We get yeah. the conscious community in Atlanta anyway are full of capitalists, and individualistic thinking peoples. You know, they sit around in their in their businesses, which are cool, you know, get your money. I don't like I said, you know, I believe in that again that, that writer Sharif Abdullah I'm telling you about. Like he says, you know, it may not be inter, it may not be equal distribution of the wealth. That may not be a realistic goal. But we can't live in a world where there's enough for everyone. Some may have more than a little number somewhat may have more than a, another one second some may have more than another, but there is enough for everyone mm-hmm. to go without lacking. So the right. institutions, we must begin to develop institutions that foster and cultivate a revolutionary culture. If we don't do that, then we'll just all be sitting around 
philosophizing and theorizing about what could be, what should be, and how it used to be. I'm going to say two things that black mm-hmm. people are going to have to grasp the concept of honesty and commitment. Yeah. 14 years ago when I stopped eating pork, Everybody in my family was like, oh, is she turning into a Muslim? Is she turning into a Muslim? And at that time, I was still what I thought was a devout Christian, and I stopped eating it because I was off into a, 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 a anatomy, you know, and, I, mm-hmm. and I've seen and i studied what it actually does to the body. And so as I began to tell people why I stopped eating it, that was that was still too far-fetched, you know, because of commitment. Nobody wanted to commit to just a lifestyle change. And even for my Christian family members, when I went into the Bible and showed them in the book of Leviticus where that was wrong, so you don't have to keep coming at me as though, oh, that's that Muslim stuff, that's that nation of Islam stuff. No, it ain't. That's healthiness. It, it is not good for our people. So honesty and commitment is the things that we lack, but a lot of it is based on fear and cognitive dissonance. They don't want to do that. That's too much work. A lot of people yeah. don't want to put the work in. Yeah, yeah. So, and and we're going against genetic memory. Never forget when dealing with our people, man. Things have been implemented. You know, I'm down south. You're in the south too, I believe, Texas. So you know, you get a lot of people say, "Well, look, man, my great great grandma made pork, and she lived to be 168. Ain't nothing wrong." You know, I don't make that my battle. I mean, for for my my people that's big on health. I'm sure that's a big battle. I've just been no, probably just now maybe, as an example. As an example, yeah. I'm sure I've been going now probably about three weeks or maybe a little bit longer. I've you know, I'm I've become a vegetarian. So I'm talking about nothing, no fish, no chicken, no beef, no anything. And it has right. been a struggle. You know, it has been it has been a real struggle. I didn't know how much my body had become, you know, uh, accustomed to eating meat and craved the meat. You know, it's a whole nother, but you know, it's like what you said, it's that revolutionary, it's that higher consciousness. Now, had it not been for a purpose that I became vegetarian and have a support group because I have a strong support group that is with me, I don't know if I would have been able to maintain this long. So I'm saying that the, and you're saying a good thing. You're right, man. Listen. Health-wise, and, and I know you weren't talking about that specifically, and I see you, um, Chairman Carl, we're going to come to you. Health-wise, I know you weren't talking about that specifically. So our, our people suffer from hypertension, high blood pressure, all right. the things that are associated with eating that poison animal. Absolutely. But when, this is why I say that us as revolutionaries have to come together and form a health department. And the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, we have a health mechanism. You know, we have a, a health department. I would love to get with other conscious and revolutionary groups to have, even if they're not a part of our organization per se, they're part of the mm-hmm. black organization, the black race. My father used to say all the time when I started gang banging, you know, and I was out in the streets, my father used to say all the time, well, shoot, I belong to the biggest gang. I said, what gang is that? He said, the black gang, black people gang. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we belong to the biggest organization is the black organization. So we need to come together. Our health departments, our health conscious people need to come together with comprehensive health uh, um, plans 
dietary plans, let's find a way to get the people in the community, the, the health officials and health care providers into the community to help us to start to regulate, monitor, and to raise the um, health consciousness of an African mm-hmm. people who are given to eating any type of thing and a lot of things and taking any type of things into their body and doing any type of thing that is destructive us as a people. But we have to come together collectively and come up with those plans. Yeah, people are gonna people are gonna buck on change. The yeah. African people people, we're gonna buck on change. So the revolution, this is what I'm talking about, the evolution of the revolution. It has to fit it has to fit the everyday life. Another thing that I realized about being a vegetarian that I didn't know, and this is what got me, you would think it would be cheaper since you don't eat meat. It is expensive to eat healthy. Yes, I was just about to say that. Or inconvenient. Or inconvenient. Like most of the healthy um, 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 grocery stores and things like that, the whole food stores, Central markets, mm-hmm. they're way out. They're way outside of the scope of regular um, uh, uh, of, mm-hmm. of our communities. So it's either yeah. a commute or just expensive. You know, like yeah. you said, I agree 100%. Yes. We, all of these things have to, that's why I was saying on um, one of the programs when we were talking about revolution um, on one of the programs. Our struggle is not a linear struggle. Our struggle is not an ABC. You know, the powers that be, the oppressive power, the repressive state, doesn't say let's first oppress them this way, then B, we go to that. They attack us. It's multifaceted. They attack us from every side, angle, from Mm -hmm. up, down, above, and beneath. So, you know, it's economic, political, social, cultural, educational. Any way they can suppress African people in America, they they tend to do it. So we have to begin to develop mechanisms, and I'm coming right to you, Chairman Kwan. We have to develop these mechanisms to combat this system. Remember, the system is what oppresses us, but what enforces and upholds the system? Institutions. Can I say one more thing, brother, before you before you cue me yes. out? Let me can I say one more thing? Because we talked Please. about this on the show a couple um Tuesdays ago and I talked about um self love and mm-hmm. how we love each other and treat each other because honestly, if we could get together amongst ourselves and start our own community gardens and be real serious about it. If we can network and put our money together and start our own farming and things of that nature, it's really not that expensive. It's just time and energy and effort. But we can't get along with each other enough or we don't have enough trust in each other. We're so dependent on the system. And a lot of people think that dependency is only coming from um, those of us who are on um, um, a public systems like food stamps and welfare. No, that's not the case. Even those of us who only want to trust the grocery stores and only go to a grocery store and not get with, with your sister or brother that can put a community garden together where we can grow our own fresh fruits and fresh vegetables and, and live amongst ourselves, we don't have enough trust and love and dedication to our own self to be able to do that. You are absolutely right. You know what, sister? And you have my national chief of staff's number. You and I, us three, need to rap. We need to rap. I'm serious. No, no, I'm serious. We need to rap. I don't know why you're not with us, but even 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 if you're not officially joining the party, we need to rap and get some type of thing together because you have a lot of good ideas 
that um, I really want to build on and I want to explore further. But we need to, you have my, reach out to Chief War. Okay, I'm just war. about to say, you got to tell me who I'm talking to. Am I talking to war? Am I talking to Yanker? Y'all sound just alike. I, well, you know, that's what they say. We brothers. You know, we're in the same party, so we should be. That's a good, I, listen, I take that as a as a compliment. For me to sound like war is a compliment. I for war to sound like me. You know, I'm, I hope that he takes it as a compliment. But when you're in the same, that just means we share the same visions and goals and that our, our training and is passion. Yes. And yes, passion. Yes. And passion, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So reach out, to reach out to my people's staff. I want to set up a date. I want to set up a time. Um, and he can he he can always get in touch with me because I you know I'll be bouncing everywhere. Um, but to set up a I'm time. I'm definitely working on it. Okay. So we're gonna yes, do sir. that. Yes, sir. Chief, yeah, yes, yes, ma'am. I'm gonna go to the phone and thank you so much, sister. And true peace. No, thank, thank you for calling in. Oh man, anytime. True peace. True peace. Jeremy Carr, man, I appreciate yeah. you being patient and, 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 and waiting. We got nine minutes, man. Give you about five or six of them. Oh, yes. Uh, one is that uh, I'm going back to you saying the evolution of a revolutionary and dealing mm-hmm. with the revolutionary institution. And I would just like to uh, get to the test and for the listening audience to go study. Uh, our movement is like a relay. Uh, I've been a track runner. I got a lot of gold medals and plaques and everything for running track. Each individual position when that baton is passed, and if you drop the baton, he's correct. And so we can't drop the baton. So prepare the baton. I like to see how the kind of freedom organization was carried the baton. What was the uh, uh, UNIA carried the baton? What was uh, uh, organization African American Unity carries baton? What was uh, RAM Revolutionary Action Movement that carried the baton? What was SNCC Student Nonviolent Coordination uh, Committee that carried the baton? Uh, what was the Social Worker Party that Malcolm spoke on the platform carried the baton? What was CORE carried the baton? What was the Progressive Members in NACP carried the baton? What was the members of Jomo carried the baton? Uh, Students for Democrats carried the baton. Leaves of Revolutionary Black Workers carried the baton. Women's Liberation Movement carried the baton. So when we study that, then we know that we're not inventing anything and that we're not teaching anything, but we got to go back and get the leftover and rewarm it and reheat it. Put it back on the stove. The stove is the fire. Don't truck give the stove. Uh, and given the fire, Malcolm said this, and he was correct. He said, how can Kennedy sit down and give a Khrushchev and talk about unity, and when we can't get together and talk about unity, when we have a common enemy that is talking about all of us? They don't have to make no distinction between no Kufi calf or our dies. They make a distinction when they see a black man walking down the street, that's a nigga. They see a sister walking down the street, that's a bitch. And so they make those decisions based upon our parents are the African people, the Negroes that sell out. So the, the program is good. What is the evolution of a revolutionary? And I'm going to be honest. I don't eat no pork, but I know some brothers eat some pork. Got better fighting in them than brothers sit down and eat a vegetarian dinner. I'm, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm saying that if your mind is pork, then you're in trouble. And so I'm saying that when we look at our history, we look at history, there is a baton that been carrying, and we cannot drop that baton. And Trump is the man that is saying that if I can sit down and talk with the Russian leaders, I can sit down and talk with the European leaders, 
when Europe is talking about uniting Europe, then we should be sitting down talking about uniting ourselves here in America and looking at the international uh, 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 movement. And I put this on everybody's mind. I ended by saying this. You cannot forget history. Everybody have a birthday. And when they get their birthday, they want to look for a birthday cake. They want to look for their family. They know their age. Our movement have a birth to black power. Black power. That is so true. And that's where the evolution begins. Like you said, everything has a start date. And I encourage us, you know, that's why evolution is going to begin. The African here in America taking in consideration the African, the American experience. And when I talk about America there, again, I reiterate, I'm not just talking about the political climate, the political economic climate of America. I'm talking about the social, cultural, American understanding, that built on discrimination, racism, segregation, slavery, genocide of Native Americans. I'm talking about the whole supremacist American, which is a white supremacist, but now has been white is synonymous with America. You see, they, they make you call yourself African American. They make the Chinese call themselves Chinese American. And all of these people with other um, ethnicities put some type of prefix before America, but the white man is American. Is what he call even a Native American. He just called him a Native American, but we're American. That white man boy is something else. He is crafty. You gotta love it. So you know we so we're talking about this cultural, uh, psychological, social understanding when we talk about America, and I think that that has to be taken and it is a predominant factor that must be taken in consideration when we talk about evolving and intensifying the revolutionary struggle to oppress Africans here in America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We have to leave. Go ahead, Chairman Carl, real quick. That's why uh, Malcolm moved and the government, many of the movement, moved to uh, uh, human rights. And uh, I just want to read this real quick in a show. This is from the human rights system of, of the United Nations. And it says the uh, Universal Declaration proclaims two broad categories of rights civil and political rights on one hand, and economic and social and cultural rights on the other. That's mm-hmm. the law. And when you, when you talk about that, that's why as long as they keep domestic, uh, you know, we are not domestic. We universal. We didn't come here on a boat. We came here on a slave boat. We didn't come here on a half boat. We came here on a slave boat. And so under international law, dealing with human rights. They want us to stick here, but that's why I think black nationalism is natural. And anybody that's afraid of black nationalism, they're afraid of being natural. That's like a blue jay said, he's afraid to be a blue jay. I'm an African and I'm a nationalist. Black power. Exactly. Black power. And that's what we're going to have to, and that's what we have to understand when we're talking about, like I love what Chairman Carr is talking about, when we talk about our human rights. Malcolm is right. Our human rights are being violated. But first, we have to understand ourselves as a people. If we don't see ourselves separate from the domestic, we, if we don't see it bigger than a domestic issue, if we see ourselves as domesticated, if we see ourselves as a part of, because we are a part of the American fabric. Don't get it twisted. You're part of the American fabric. There is no America without, like they say, today is Black History Month. For this month is Black History. Shit. American history is Black History. We are part of the American fabric. There would be no America without the contributions 
whether they're voluntarily or involuntarily, of the African. So we're a part of American history and a part of the American fabric. But until we see ourselves as a part that, um, a separate part of the American fabric, a thread, and not the whole of American fabric. See, the white man sees himself as a thread in this tapestry. The Chinese see themselves as a thread in the tapestry. The Jewish American and so on sees themselves in a thread of the tapestry of America. The Negro sees himself as a damn tapestry. I'm American. You know what I'm saying? That's the Negro's coach over here. I'm American. And that's all he wants. But until we see ourselves as a thread in the tapestry, then it's hard for us to demand for human rights because you don't know your human rights are being violated. You don't know you're, you're still fighting for some domestic rights. You're still angry at this white man, not at the system. Your, 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 your revolutionary concept hasn't evolved enough to be angry at the system. You're still on as a white man, and he counters that argument with him. I ain't had nothing to do with slavery. You know, yeah, I may, I may, I may enjoy the riches that the system ensures that I have. I may enjoy the entitlement that the system ensures that I get. I may enjoy the privilege that the system ensures that I'm able to enjoy. But me personally, I had nothing to do with slavery. Why are you angry with me? You know, you'll find it. They so slick now with the system. You'll find the white cop and the black cop. I've seen white police officers tell the black cop to calm down, calm down. The white cop pull you to the side. Hey, man, my partner's a trip, man. But, you know, I know you're cool. Got the white cop talking to you. Got the nigga over there foaming and frosting at the damn mouth. Good, good lap dog, good pit bull. So it's the system that has oppressed us. And until we understand that, we won't begin to develop institutions that address the system. And these institutions will address the systems. That'll be one of the cries. Not only are we being oppressed and persecuted over here because we're descendants of Africans, but that in itself we're being oppressed, and therefore our human rights are being violated. But it's hard to argue your human rights are being violated when you're self-suppressing, self-oppressing, exploiting, allowing yourself to be exploited, and every other tragedy and atrocity that happens to us. Some of that shit we can begin to head off and to make a reform. Listen, coming down in my last minute, it's been a wonderful show. I appreciate everyone for sharing that Tuesday with us. People's Black Panther Party is your chairman, national um, chairman, Yang and Krumah, independent black blog talk. Tune in again with us and catch us out next Tuesday. But until then, I leave you as I greet you. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things and something.